You're listening to Industry Insights, the podcast from WiredScore that explores how technology is shaping the future of real estate. We hear from some of the leading thinkers in the industry about the opportunities of today and the challenges of tomorrow that come with creating the world's smartest spaces. I'm Katie Klein, North America Country Director here at WiredScore the certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected. Today's guest brings a wealth of experience at the forefront of smart building design. Mahmoud Shuman is the Building Intelligence Division Lead at Jaras Bomb & Bulls, or JB&B, the consulting engineering firm that's been setting the standard of technological innovation for more than a century. Mahmoud is also a SmartScore accredited professional. Welcome, Mahmoud. Tell us about your role at JBNB. Thanks for having me, Katie. So at JBNB, I'm the head of building intelligence. We have a dedicated and highly specialized engineering, design, and consulting practice within the overall JBNB ecosystem. Essentially, what I like to call MEP 3.0. Tell me what MEP 3.0 means for those that may not be familiar with the acronym. Initially, MEP was mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and fire protection. Those were sort of the core MEP systems. And then with time, about you know a couple decades ago, maybe, we've started seeing this evolution of the MEP practice to 2.0. So we're seeing the introduction of IT engineering, AV, security, commissioning and field teams, even architectural lighting more and more. And now, in the past decade or so, we're seeing a shift to 3.0, which is sort of building intelligence, obviously, but also cybersecurity, environmental engineering, building information modeling teams to assist with digital twins. We have a dedicated deep carbon reduction team that is, we're at about 17 to 18 people right now, just dedicated to decarbonizing buildings. So that's sort of the evolution of MEP that I've seen. And it all falls under three pillars for any space. You've got your smart, you've got your sustainability, and you've got your wellness. And those really seem to be the three pillars of any space. I want to come back to building intelligence, Mahmoud. What does that mean to you in terms of what a space can offer its users? So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to define who those users are. We've boiled it down to owner, operator, occupant, and visitor slash guest. Those are sort of the three pillars of users whose lives we're trying to enhance. Now, our enhancements of a smart building or an intelligent building, what an intelligent building enhances, so to speak, we've boiled it down to six. So you've got your health and wellness, safety and security, sustainability, operational optimization, user experience, and then productivity, whether that's an individual or a collaborative productivity. Now, ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to add value to people's lives. So there's this concept of globally competent and aware users. And essentially, these are users or people that care about sustainability, they care about the climate, they care about their wellness, and they're accustomed to connectivity and frictionless and optimized processes in their day-to-day lives. And so we're trying to extend that into the spaces that they occupy as well. What do people misunderstand about building intelligence? I think there's a delineation or there's a difference between intelligent versus smart, a smart building versus an intelligent building. So a smart system is generally speaking a system that's connected to quote unquote, the internet, right? So all it does is it provides data and connectivity, and you have the ability to access that system using what's known as an IP-based device or an internet protocol device, whether that's a mobile phone or whether that's a desktop with internet connectivity. 
Now, an intelligent building is when all of those different systems work together, communicate together in order to enable a specific outcome. So an analogy that I personally like to use is the human body. A good example is when you see some sort of danger. So let's say you see a tiger in front of you, right? So your retinal system or your eyes sort of see that danger. And all of a sudden, your heart rate speeds up, your pupils dilate, you know, blood flows to your extremities, your muscles tighten, etc. And so what happens is you've got this external input and now you have all of these different systems working together to enable a specific outcome. In this case, it's health and safety. So very similar in a building, right? So let's say you, Katie, drive up to a building, the video surveillance sort of picks up your license plate, you know, it directs you maybe to an available car charger, maybe it pre-cools your office, maybe if you want, it starts up your coffee machine. If you're a VIP, maybe it'll override digital signage, et cetera. So very similar to how an intelligent human body works where you have all of these different systems working together in order to enable a specific outcome. That's how we see an intelligent building. Outcomes driven. That's super helpful. Outcomes driven and user driven, right? So it's outcomes for the users. Ultimately, like I said, we want to add value to people's lives. In your experience, Mahmoud, what do you see as some of the trends behind this, the trends in building design? In terms of key technology trends in design, we could probably do a podcast just for this. I quickly want to touch on the differences in between verticals. So just taking the example that we just took earlier and thinking about what a smart building is, a smart airport or hospital is the same as a smart commercial real estate building, except that you have additional systems that need to communicate and interact in order to enable certain outcomes. But at an airport, for example, you have additional systems, whether that's baggage handling, flight information display, departure control system, electronic gates, user kiosks, etc. Now, all of a sudden, you have additional systems that need to communicate with other systems in order to make the lives of the people within the airport across stakeholders better. Now, going back to your original question about key technology trends in design, a couple trends that we're seeing. One is developers aren't now allowing proprietary systems. Developers are now looking and designers accordingly are looking for open systems and essentially are disallowing vendor lock and also allowing for additional smart building functionalities to be bolted on. We're also obviously seeing EV charging being sort of a much bigger item within design, so to speak. So you probably know New York City introduced local law 130 in 2013. All new buildings now need to include a minimum of 20% EV charging spaces, but also there's the evolution of these smart car chargers, right? And what they do is they allow car charging cycles to adapt based on grid restraints, based on the availability of renewable resources, customer demand. And it also allows these car chargers to act as batteries as part of a vehicle to grid or vehicle to building charging. And then last but not least, obviously, there's a major focus on cybersecurity in all of our designs, uh, just based on the increased connectivity of different systems. What I'm hearing, Mahmoud, is that the framework should be similar, but some of the details underneath it are different. Think of it this way. So it's not only a combination of new additional systems, and you can extrapolate this to healthcare, you can extrapolate to aviation, retail, but it's also who are the new stakeholders, right? So remember, we've boiled it down to owner, operator, occupant, and visitors, right? So in a hospital, you have almost like a new set of stakeholders. In an airport, you've got a new set of stakeholders, but ultimately it goes back to adding value to people's lives, a new concept of globally competent and aware people whose lives we're trying to enhance and add value to. I'm curious, when you're working with a client, what is JB&B's go-to piece of advice 
to those clients as they set out on that road, which might feel daunting, to create a smart building? Start with why, right? Start with what it is that you're trying to achieve and always have this front and center. So it's really easy for me personally and potentially for others is to get lost in the weeds. But if every now and then you can sort of zoom out and remember what it is that you're trying to achieve, that's definitely a piece of advice that we provide with clients. Also, something that I heard in your last podcast, Katie, with PGIM, is they have this committee that sort of meets on a regular and ongoing basis. And that's essentially another piece of advice that we provide our clients, which is make sure you have organizational buy-in and alignment, because if you don't, things will take a long, long time to actually implement. Also, be good at figuring out what you don't know. I mean, make sure you find a qualified, trusted advisor that's gone through the lessons learned because there are a significant amount of lessons learned when embarking on a smart building or digitization strategy. Is there a particular project, Mahmoud, that stands out for you that you think really set the standard for a smart or intelligent building? In a previous role, I had worked on a top three financial institution global workplace app where we really, really pushed the envelope on that design and sort of what the definition of a workplace experience mobile app is supposed to do. And back in the day, Katie, this was before... MEP firms were putting out mobile app RFPs and the comment would always be, well, you're not necessarily app developers, so why would you put out an RFP for a mobile app? But essentially, the app is just the visualization layer. Really, the meat and potatoes is in the data normalization layer that sits underneath, that integrates and normalizes data from all of your different office subsystems, right? And then provides that visualization layer in the form of a mobile app or a dashboard for the owner operator but also provides with different analytics. It also provides you with the ability to create some if-then-else statements based on the data. So we really push the envelope with respect to what a tenant experience mobile application does and is able to do. Tenant engagement apps have come up a lot um, in this podcast, and I noticed that JB&B actually put out an email blast about this only a few weeks ago. What are sort of the advantages and pitfalls that you think come with some of these tenant engagement apps, Mahmoud? Whether we're talking about the enhancements that we talked about earlier, so increasing health and well-being, increasing safety and security, productivity, user experience, et cetera. Um, there's also an element of community enhancement. If you remember when we were talking about globally competent and aware users, they're accustomed to that level of connectivity within their own personal lives. And so we want to try and extend that once people come into an office. So having that community enhancement, that engagement with the, with the building, having the analytics available to the owner operator are really just some of the functionalities that a mobile a tenant engagement app would provide. Now pitfalls, one thing that really comes to mind really quickly that I try to preach often is not priming underlying MEP systems properly. So you can bring in a mobile application, for example, but you can't use it as an access card if your card readers aren't mobile enabled or you, if you're trying to implement some sort of energy gamification, if you don't have a comprehensive submetering and plug load strategy, you won't be able to do that. If you're trying to implement wayfinding, then without the proper infrastructure, that won't be feasible. So really priming and ensuring the underlying MEP systems have the ability to integrate with the mobile app is a pretty key requirement in order to ensure that you don't run into said pitfall. Obviously, cybersecurity is, is another pitfall to watch out for because you are increasing the connectivity of all of your different systems and sort of increasing your attack vector, so to speak. Not figuring out the app functionalities in advance 
So figure out what it is that you're trying to achieve before you go out to a single source vendor. These are the functionalities that we want. Like we understand all these functionalities that are out there in the market, but us as a client, we want some customized white label functionalities. How do you think smart score can help with setting the standard for building intelligence infrastructure? I think smart scores and wired score in general is doing a terrific job sort of educating the industry, raising awareness, creating a standard that actually makes sense. I love how involved WiredScore is with the industry across all levels, whether it's the owners, consultants, engineers, or vendors. The three sort of pillars of any building at this point is sustainability, wellness, smart, right? And then on top of all that is a connectivity. So WiredScore is really solid when it comes to connectivity and smarts, and also in wellness is sustainability. So touching on sustainability and ESG, obviously that's become a huge focus in commercial real estate. How has it impacted your approach to design, Mahmoud? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's two items here. One is we work really closely with our dedicated deep carbon reduction team, right? So they influence our designs. They also influence our HVAC designs. And what's happening there is we're getting a significant amount of emissions reporting requirements from the SEC. And so companies are now are asking about their emissions and how it'll affect their business outlook, if any. And where we come in at our deep carbon reduction group, essentially comes in and helps them understand their risk and what they can do to help mitigate it. You alluded to EV charging stations. I'm wondering if there's any other technology deployments in buildings that you're really excited about from a smart perspective. So one piece of technology that really gets me excited is NUMA. A quick disclaimer, JBNB has a partnership with NUMA, N-U-M-A, and essentially what NUMA is, it's a personal air device. Essentially, if you've seen those personal air devices in an airplane where you have the ability to control the amount of air and the direction of air that comes into your individual seat. So it's the same concept, but for people within an office, right? So the number one thing that it does that really excites me is that it solves the too hot, too cold problem in the office. It just takes care of that issue. And you can have people sitting next to each other and feeling almost a difference of 10 to 12 degrees between the two. The other thing that gets me excited about is that it improves air quality, right? So now we're improving productivity, we're improving wellness, we're also reducing operational expenditures, but also the engineer in me gets really excited about the data part. So there's embedded sensors within these personal air devices. And so you have the ability to receive data on almost a per workstation basis when it comes to occupancy, when it comes to temperature, et cetera, and different data points. And with all that in mind, what do you think developers are getting right when it comes to smart technology? We're seeing more and more buy-in. We're seeing a significant amount of representation at events. We're seeing developers pushing the envelope really. And one thing that I've noticed throughout the past decade of working in this field is that we went from asking or clients or developers went from asking for smart building consulting and solutions pretty late during the construction process. But now not only are they asking for it, but they're asking for it earlier and earlier in the process, which allows us to enable underlying MEP systems, which allows us to figure out exactly what different use cases they're trying to deploy and translate that into different building intelligence technologies and software. And the inverse of that, what are they getting wrong? I wouldn't necessarily say wrong, but from an improvement perspective, it would be really great to continue to see the sort of portfolio thinking. Building intelligence technologies and software, by definition, are scalable. They're scalable by nature, right? They're intended to be deployed portfolio-wide, right? So working within silos can really hurt an organization. So deploying a different tenant experience app 
in different buildings or a different digital twin or different fault detection software or any for the majority of smart building technologies and software, they are intended to be scalable. And you end up getting economies of scale. Like if you think about a single pane of glass or a digital twin, you can only get so much by normalizing and integrating all your different systems in one building or one office. But the more buildings and offices and spaces that you add to that, you end up getting more and more economies of scale. Mahmoud, it's been fascinating learning about your wealth of experience and building intelligence. A big thanks to you. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Katie Klein. Thanks for listening.